Hi, I'm Tim Van Damen, the writer-director of Mega Time Squad. So let's go through this thing. Uh, I wrote this when I was living in Thames, which is a small coastal town in New Zealand. Um, and I didn't have any money, so I wanted to make a film uh, that I could do just with one actor. And so I figured, well, time travel and I can make it about a guy who fucks up the time traveling and multiplies himself and uh, so I started playing with that idea and it sort of slowly grew over time and added in more and more people and started pulling on all my friends in and uh, it ended up being this um Right, so this, there's Anton. I've known him for a long time. We used to do music videos and whatnot together. Sent the script around. People seemed to like it. Johnny Bruff here liked it, and I thought he was really awesome for Shelton. Like, he's just got that, he's just, he's got that uh, stupidity with confidence. He can pull that off really, really well. Anyway, he's really funny. This mine. Kelly! You see that? That's an explosive. That's a weightlifting vest that I bought off eBay. And I loaded it with um, napkins to look like C4 or something. That's Hetty, another one. Another one of my friends. I've known him for many years. I think she does a great job in the film. Keep the sluttos off my boys, please. I'm not. One of the hardest things was I wrote, I wasn't confident with my script writing because it was one of the first scripts I ever wrote. So, because um, it was quite a few years ago that we did this, um, I overwrote the jokes. So there were a huge number of jokes and part of the editing process was trying to reduce them. Um, so there was a good mix of story and jokes. So there's probably about 25 to 35 minutes of jokes uh, that we ended up cutting out. This was originally the start of the film, the shot here, because it went from the old ancient Chinese history and then blended and showed them all the way through bringing the bracelet over to New Zealand setting up in Thames and then easing into this but we felt like it was better to just start by introducing the town and Anton and then just set the story up straight away with this scene rather than the whole long setup with the history of the Chinese and the bracelet I love it. it just delivers the character perfectly it's just uh, very funny Johnny manages to nail that character I mean they all manage to nail them but that's a difficult character, that it's character of Shelton. So this is uh, where we used to go drinking in Thames at the bowling club. So it's pretty much how things actually were in reality. That's Arlo, another one who I've known for a long time. Uh, does a lot of theatre. Except, you know, we'd all live together and... Yeah, he's an awesome guy. And learn karate in that. 
Bro, like the Ninja Turtles, bro. You could be Donatello. Hey, bro, Donatello sucks, bro. It'd be Leonardo. He shits on Donatello. True. Hard, bro. Well, then there's us. Yeah, the scene used to go for about three times as long because it explored uh, Gaz's character a lot more. He was looking at how his his hero is Sir Edmund Hillary because Sir Edmund Hillary is on money and he speculates as to whether Sir Edmund Hillary pays for everything with $5 notes because his face is on the $5 note. But instead we thought, no, let's just get on with the story and we can... We can muck around with silly jokes later. Yeah, we're just talking about it. The song in the background is my band. I used to be in a band, play the drums. It was called Collapsing Cities. Hey, John, right? What are you doing up here? I used to live beside this gra graveyard. And at night, the moonlight shines off those gravestones. And it looks like ghosts walking around in the graveyard and it used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. There's another scene that we cut down quite a lot that went into Callie and her backstory and all this kind of stuff, but again, I really wanted the film to be 80 minutes. Between 80 and 85 minutes was my goal, so most of the stuff that was cut out was cut out from the first act. And I wanted to have... See, the whole nuts thing, I just wanted to like take the piss out of the idea of like, uh, you know, an internal motivation for the character. <laughs> it's like, what if he... What if he's just trying to prove he's got nuts. Patrick's coming home from the university and he's bought himself a car, so you've got to go. Hey, when's he coming back? Around six. What, tonight? Yes, tonight. Oh, where am I going to stay? Oh, where am I going to stay? You're such a pussy. That's exactly what my manager was like when I was working at the supermarket. <laughs> The soundtrack, I'm really, uh, a guy called Mike Newport did the soundtrack. I think he did an amazing job. I wanted it to be like a series of needle drops, but, uh, um, integrated with sort of like a, a sci-fi synthy theme with Chinese elements in it so that we could be, <clears throat> it almost like subconsciously, um, makes that Chinese theme integrate into the story and this is obviously a um you know t taking the piss out of the taxi driver scene because i wanted all these little homages throughout the film that were not homages uh for the audience so you can be like ah <clears throat> oh, look at that homage to that film i know about it's more about the kind of movie that the actor thinks he's in so this guy john he thinks he's in taxi driver he thinks he's in these movies where he's a badass but he's not a badass 
and as you know and then he waits for his garage door to close because he doesn't want anybody to break in and steal his shit while he's going out and he's like oh i'm gonna be <laughs> it's like that's that's just because i was buying props for the film and then i wanted to buy a balaclava and then i saw it was 70 bucks i was like i'm not buying fucking balaclavas i'll just buy these shitty masks you could have changed this is the um the red menace this car it had no petrol cap so every time you drove it around a corner petrol would just go flying out the side of the car if you look on the road in the background of some of the shots you'll just see petrol all over the road so these are all the people's cars who uh worked on the film so the red one is the guy who's driving it arlo that's his car this is uh one of the guys who helped out in the background uh that's his bmw there Here's another scene that we cut down. They used to go on for ages about who wants to wear the mask. And... Yeah, put that on. Oi! Where'd you get that? It's Mum's. Why'd you bring it? Well, to scare him. Who? The old man. Bro, he's like a hundred years old. So? So does it work? Yeah, it fucking works. Yeah, alright. Just looks a bit... Come on. Oh, I don't know. Shit. There's a lot of, um... <laughs> Growing up, there's a lot of people around that wanted you to think they were real badasses. And they were like, yeah, we're going to kick ass here. Yeah, we got this fucking... And then, but in reality, it was just a bit shit. So, uh, one of the things uh, about doing a film where you uh, multiply the main character a lot and you don't have any money is that you can't move the camera because I don't have a technocrame so I, I can't match move the shots so I can't have multiple versions of the same character in the same shot unless this camera is static. So in order to take care of that, I and not have sudden static scenes in amongst the dynamic moving camera uh, style film, I just decided, well, we'll shoot the whole film static so that those scenes don't stand out. Um, so you'll notice the camera doesn't move. There's pans and tilts, but I think there's like one or two moving shots where we just couldn't resist. But uh, what it does is when you have an action sequence like this, which should be like blood pumping, like things going and they're panicking, you're trying to put the audience in their shoes, is that you're now doing it with a series of edits rather than with a moving camera how you normally would do it. And it, it makes it difficult because the actors, it requires more from the actors in terms of performance, but it also requires more from the editor. It requires more from the music. It's Everything has to has to amp up in order to be able to get a sense of pacing um 
and that's just part of the process. Um, so initially at the start of the movie we see the development of the shop and it evolve over time and uh, the, what happens with that scroll with the warning of the demon on it and all that kind of stuff but we decided you know people will get that in retrospect and I just like the I like the idea that Gaz just he can't do anything right <laughs> and he's There he goes, every time he did that about three litres of petrol would spill out the side of the car. That's Yusan An, uh, the gangster guy there. Uh, he's a very, very funny guy. Great actor. This was some garden centre that we found abandoned. And then we got these henchmen, but I didn't want them to be proper henchmen I wanted them to be <laughs> sort of like school bullies tear henchmen so that's Jaya Robinson and Axel Scott and I wanted to do this sort of gangster kingpin scene where uh, he thinks he's this uh, sort of like mafioso he's sort of badass guy but everything he says is just a little bit crap thinks and talks about like chess and stuff so the bracelet is uh based on this demon called the Tauter, which is uh a demon from uh chinese history that's normally put on plates cups stuff to do with eating uh, because it's about warning you against gluttony and greed so i felt like it was the right kind of uh <clears throat> image for this film which is essentially about john's descent into greed and killing himself but killing all his various selves So just trying to do one of these classic gangster sort of scenes, but everyone's incompetent. It's just how I imagine this would actually play out if if my friends were trying to be gangsters. And I think this harks back to my childhood obsession with the Christmas story and you'll shoot your eye out. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen that, it's about a kid that wants a, an air gun for Christmas and his mother doesn't want him to have it because she thinks he'll shoot his eye out. So I didn't consciously think of that uh, when I was writing this, but it's Christmas now as I record this and I just watched the Christmas story again. This is McInnes. He's a legend, New Zealand legend. Very funny guy. A couple of years ago, he was doing a performance on stage and he had a heart attack on stage and then just got up and finished his performance before going to the hospital. He's one of those sort of legendary performers. 
sometimes I think we should yeah he's awesome today. very funny Here, you handle this fucking circus now piss off Initially, the scene went for a lot longer. They talked about Sky, uh, Sky TV, what the optimal mix of channels were, and but we felt like it was time to move on with the story. And we found this abandoned lot as well, with this camper van on it, out the back of uh, some industrial spot where they recycle glass bottles. Um, and it seemed like it would work for this scene like we were running just day to day you know what i mean like it's not like we had heaps of time to prepare and oh let's get location x and location y and all this it was just like oh i saw this place well i'll see you there tomorrow the let's shoot it Yeah, so there's another scene that's hard to sort of, when you don't want to move the camera, you can't really run with the character, so you feel a little bit dislocated as he runs. I sort of wanted him to feel like panicked and, and then like feel sick because he was like so freaked out. <laughs> but it's difficult to do when you're, you're shooting on a static camera from far away. This is just me mucking around. Uh, trying to trying to show that we're jumping back in time with enough sort of like tiny cues and uh ending with the bracelet um activation because one of the things that uh i don't think i communicated clear enough in the film and judging from uh people say oh he jumps back two minutes or something like that no he jumps back in time always to the moment that the bracelet was activated so when Shelton puts that bracelet, says, oh, a friendship bracelet, puts it on his hand and presses that button and it glows, that's the reset point. Um, so he never, he changes in time, but he never changes in space. So he jumps back in time, but he's always in the same spot um, as he was when he pressed the button. And he always jumps back to that same time that that bracelet was activated and that's the idea behind it i thought i'd communicated that clearly but obviously um judging from the way people talk about it i did not so there we go um those two scenes that where you shoot the same scene twice and you want to change the perspective i did that through uh lens choice so it's sort of you don't even have to think about which is which which is a problem when you do this is maintaining perspective um so the first scene i shot uh on uh i think it was 35 millimeter lens and a 50 mil on the reverse and then when we shoot that scene again we shoot 35 mil on the close-up of the other guy and a 50 mil on the reverse um and just the physically being closest sort of helps you identify with who you are supposed to be seeing the lens seeing the stories story uh whose perspective you're seeing the story from and that's uh that happens all through the film because it's difficult when you have the same character playing the same actor playing multiple characters uh you have to show like perspective is a problem you have to deal with so who's 
who are we following at what point? So uh, we did that through Lens Choice. Uh, Tim Flower, the DOP, who uh, we've been working together for, I don't know, 15 years now. Um, we just took the time to um, just make a series of rules around what lenses we would use so that we would have a, a consistent feel across the film. We sort of use films like Fargo um, and the Coen Brothers sort of wide and close approach, minimal static camera setups and a consistent lens choice for each shot to give us a certain language that means that we could build these scenes uh, in a way that made it all feel of a piece. Um, so we, I think we shot close-ups on 35mm, which is a lot longer than I would normally do them. And then we shot uh, mid-shots. Or, or no, no, maybe we actually shot close-ups on a 21mm, mid-shots on a 35 two shots on a 50 and our wide shots are on a long lens, like, I mean, longish, like a like 100, I think, or 85, 85 maybe, or 100. So this would be an 85. Um, so I come up with a bunch of dumb names for all the shops too. That was sort of, I don't know, that's just one of those things that when I'm writing, I just like to do dumb shit. Um, now the time travel effect when he pops out um, that was a that took a lot of iterations you can see another John there in the background if you look um, it, it took a lot of iterations because I didn't like you know when you think of a time travel effect a lot of people are like you know lasers and lightning and, and all this kind of stuff and and it's like well it's not I mean this is sort of a dopey um, very sort of organic dorky sort of sort of feel about it um, and I wanted that to be reflected in the effects as well I didn't want to have effects that seemed like they were from you know some intergalactic whatever I just wanted it to be more goofy so uh, we spent a lot of time uh, I, I did I did most of the effects in the movie and then for some of them uh, the stuff that is just beyond my skill level uh, a guy called James Corden came in and he did he did a bunch of them so him and I did a bunch of iterations on this time travel effect um, to get it to a point where we felt like it was goofy and it was it felt like he gets sucked down a plug hole that's what I wanted like like he gets like he's going down the plug hole in the bath and see I see how he runs around the container there I did that on purpose I wanted to just sort of like lay in these things where it's not the same every time like every time he goes back in time it's not the same uh, and that's important to me because I don't I I don't want it to always be the same every time somebody repeats something and I don't believe they would do things the same um, so getting back to this time travel effect so all the sound effects to do with the time travel are all made uh, with me sucking on uh, I just want to see what happens. McDonald's, like like a McDonald's cup with some Coke in it. So it all, all the sounds are of like sucking and everything. And then the, the final sound when he pops out is just the... Happening to you. You don't 
putting your finger in your mouth. So it sort of has all sort of cartoony sounds around it as well. Because when I was writing this, I was thinking it almost of like a live action cartoon. So I used to work with a guy called Jay and he was a survivalist. Uh, he worked at the supermarket and uh, he lived in a container like this and he was obsessed with staying mobile and being off the grid and he had a lot of uh, non-gunpowder based weapons uh, and a single string homemade banjo that he used to play and he would um, educate me on what's really going on in the world and uh, how you have to stay mobile and you have to have um, You have to be prepared um, for when the world goes to shit and you have to fend for yourself. So I sort of wrote this character based on him. And so this is where we decided to put what was originally the intro of the movie. Um, where, so instead we decided to tell it uh, as a retrospective sort of story from Jay. There's the classic Wilhelm scream that every sound designer wants to put in every movie as many times as they possibly can. But this, this scene used to set up how the bracelet worked. Uh, but by now we were just sort of like, well, we've sort of seen it work, so we won't actually explain, explain the ABCs of it. He was like, oh, fuck that. And went off to sort out the war. Yeah, and I wanted it to have an epic, like, that sort of, like, intro to an epic movie. But, uh, sort of a dumb version of it, where it's being told as if, like, you're talking to your mate at the pub. And he's trying to tell this story. It's Barney Tang. Uh, these guys are all actually really good martial artists. Uh, that's Tian there. He's he's actually, um, I don't know, he's got a great Instagram of him doing um, in Facebook where he does, talks about what's on his mind and he does the crazy tricks jumping around everywhere. So one day, he snuck around the back and he did it. This is um, in another town where I grew up. They have like themed gardens. And so that's the Chinese theme garden uh, in a town called Hamilton in New Zealand. Um, and we were, those, those uh, bamboo, that's all covered in graffiti. Uh, this is when we were kids. We used to break in here at night and uh, pick a certain kind of mushroom. You all go back and you all do your part. You better pay close attention to what each other are doing. Be careful with that thing. All right. Thanks, Jay. So we can't bust into Shelton's because they'll murder us. So what do we do? Um, so I had a, a friend of mine, Ash Jones, who would, who would sit in uh, where the other John was supposed to be in scenes like that, where there was a dialogue. Uh, between them and he was there most of the time as a as a stand-in and then I, I cut him out later and um, so that was really helpful he was um, 
he's an awesome actor actually himself you'll see him later on and this is just another sort of one of those commando-esque crappy crash zoom sequences that you see that i felt like um suited john's idea of how cool he is but when we watch it we know that he's not actually that cool So this is a location that fell through at the last minute. It was supposed to be a bank and then they cancelled on us that morning. And so I went to the local church and asked if we could use them. And so we had to try and set that up, the local church, to, to look like a bank. Um, I think they did an all right job. It just was really awkward because, uh, you know, the extras didn't come and that we didn't have, um, like the architecture is quite different to how it appears in the film. So it was really awkward shooting that scene. That's Ash. So he's he's the guy who plays all the other Johns when you see any double of a John. That's him. That's Lewis. Just more toilet jokes. I don't know. I can't help myself. I find them really funny. So this is... John having jumped back in time, going around and watching himself. I just figured this was another way to sort of show that he is the newest one. Again, the perspective, the long lens on those guys, the closer one on him. So you can, so it's really obvious that this is the guy whose perspective we are seeing. Um, so this is the awkward architecture of the scene. Um, trying to deal with that was. A bit of a pain so we tried our uh tried our hardest it's probably uh my least favorite scene because of the lack of extras and the mucking around with the um with the setups to try and make the architecture work meant that i don't i wasn't concentrating as much on other things that i should have been concentrating on and um and so i feel like i didn't nail the scene the way that i had it in my head and the way it was in the script I was just too you know <clears throat> I think we had a crew of five people so you know there wasn't a lot of resources to um, get everything done I like the idea of real incompetent really polite trying to rob a bank doesn't really know how it works Can you double check? <laughs> well, um, can you double check? I can call my supervisor. And I don't know why I always like it the way that mask wiggles when he nods his head. Marcus, can you come out here, please? Yes, Sergeant. It's Paul Trimmer. He's very funny. Uh, I saw him doing like some oh sh summer Shakespeare uh, thing down the road from my apartment and hunted him down to play this role. He's. Again, there's another scene that went for a lot longer where he was, where Paul, where the bank manager prepares himself to die. And then everybody's just weirded out. But we had to get rid of it because we just wanted to get on with the story. Hey, where'd you come from? Well, he got shot the first time. 
Yeah, I wanted to see him starting to get a little bit cocky, you know. This is more just ad lib. We did a lot of a lot of just playing, like uh, like the rubber bands joke was just because there was actually no lock on it and did, did just have rubber bands. And so I was like, well, what if you just say, well, it's just got rubber bands. So we did, you know, there was a lot of ad lib. There was a lot of playing, a lot of um, uh, sort of mucking around. Uh, instead of sticking like you know religiously to the script the whole time because once you get going and and the actors inherit inhabit the characters a lot of the stuff that that you come up with on spot is just much funnier fresher more authentic so you want to like get as much as that of that as you can oh yeah but then we get less beers oh oh yeah okay Hey, mate. Yeah, it's Colonel. He's here. <sighs> this is Frankie Mac. He's a Scottish man that uh, does a lot of... Uh, he's like a drumming group, and they do, like, Celtic drums. So we know how this um, works, right? It's actually really cool. So how are we going to just keep fucking shocking over and over again until we get to And this is when they say they can just do it because trial and error, it'll be fine. Well, you don't reckon we need a plan? The idea of you just every time you mess something up, one guy goes back and saves you, and then you just have to tie them all up at the end. As long as everybody goes back in time and does all the other things that all the other guys have done, and then when I think about that, I think I'm not going to do that. I'll just kill the other guys and take the money. This was a hard scene because the sun was going down and the curtains along one side of the building are red. So we, when I shoot, I like to shoot one way first and then turn around and shoot the other way. And so that way is a lot redder than the other way, which was a problem uh, when we came to grading because um, we shot on a handy cam like a Canon C300, which was just some like a, a camera that I owned because <clears throat> we didn't really have any like access to anything else so and we knew we know that camera inside out because um we've used it on a lot of music videos and stuff like that um and we knew as long as we played within the limitations of its sensor then we would be fine um i was surprised at how well it graded but in scenes like that where you have quite a distinct color throw um it was it was a difficult one for Dave McLaren who did the color grade, but I think he did a great job. And this is another one where he's jumped back to the time that the bracelet activated and then he waits all day in the toilet. Um, and there was a whole mini story around the toilet and the, some guy comes in and all this kind of stuff, but we got rid of that. I always love that sound of him getting hit in the head. So this is... <laughs> I like that too, where he's just like, what the fuck? We like our own game. 
I couldn't resist. I had to do it. I'm sorry. The time squad. Oh, there it is. Couldn't help myself. I better jump back. Yeah, he better. Bye. Hey, Terry. Look at this. Surprise, motherfucker. This is all ad lib as well. We were just mucking around with the with the vest, and we were like, "What would Shelton think about the vest, and what would Terry think about the vest?" And we were just mucking around him. I love that. I think I like it so much. I think I made it the opening of the trailer. I also thought that Shelton would have some like sick dad rock as his phone as his phone ring and he treats kelly like his little slave everyone's sort of over shelton actually he's like a giant child So there was a whole nother Chinese subplot like that followed the gangsters and the background of the gangsters and Shelton had this explosive vest because uh, the gangsters wanted to meet up with him and he was nervous so he had this vest made so he could go and meet up with them and intimidate them, uh, you know, by trying to seem like he's a crazy guy, don't fuck with me. But it just felt like it. Like we just wanted to go and just follow the money and follow John and not get too distracted with all these other side plots. New Zealand, New Zealand actually has a really high gun per person uh, ratio, like higher than Mexico, higher than Australia, I think. And it's, um, I think it's mostly just because it's like a farming thing and people have 22s and shotguns and all that kind of stuff. But, we don't see ourselves as a country that has many guns and my experience of guns is uh just seeing extreme incompetence with guns and people trying to hunt possums and just nothing ever going quite right um and so i just wanted to sort of like these guys are trying to be cool gangsters but They've only really got sort of crappy old 22 style hunting rifles, which is what you would have if you're in New Zealand. And how they're just like, they're not really designed to intimidate people. That's Mohi uh, Critchley. Uh, I fucking love him. He's, he's super funny. This is him just mucking around as well. <laughs> It's another thing we cut from the film. We had a, the, at the start of the film, we sort of set up these two's relationships where they're like, you know, they're friends and Mohi has a little dog. And uh, Anton likes the dog and he thinks the breed of the dog is New Zealander. And I always wanted John to be like defending Shelton, even though Shelton's the bad guy. I wanted like every time someone's like, oh, Shelton's a dick. 
that John would be like, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's quite reasonable. I did steal all that money from him. So, I mean, understandably, he'd be a bit pissed off. Revenge of the Nerds reference there, which, I mean, I don't know why. Well, you reckon you seen me yet? And this is a joke from a spelling mistake on the script. Where I was typing really quickly and then I <laughs> typed dope around the wrong way. And I was like, pedo. And I was like, what? And I was laughing and then I thought, oh, I'll make a joke out of it. And then this sequence was it heavily storyboarded, difficult to shoot sort of a sequence again because you're using a static camera and you're cutting between a lot of different perspectives. So you've got Shelton and you've got the security camera perspective. You've got the henchman perspective. And then you have uh, John's perspective himself. And so you just want to try to build it uh, in a way that uh, makes it feel like increasing chaos but at the same time not do it through cuts I mean you want to do it in single shots as much as possible there's a moving shot uh, and if I hadn't made this rule for myself or if we had a techno crane, I would have tried to do this sequence in one shot, right? Which I think it would be achievable. It's just, so this was, that took a while, all this fucking roto, and I thought, well, we have to have some sort of payoff shot where the f house is full of him and all this kind of stuff. Um, so this was really the only way that we could do it with the resources that we had. Um, And I think uh, the Mike nailed it with the soundtrack too. It has that that right sort of like that right kind of feel because that scene can really not go uh, not work properly if it's if it's not scored correctly or you know if you get it slightly wrong. So this is actually my friend's house, and her father had recently died, and her father was a hoarder, and so inside the house. That stuff is not set dressing. That's uh, what's there. Like he had hundreds of v v uh, VHS machines and stereos and um, books and tapes and uh, all this kind of like the whole house just full of books. And so it felt like, yeah. you know, a lot of the stuff had been stolen. So we're sort of like lucky in that regard. That's a cute New Zealand joke when he says from the big smoke and she says Hamilton. Hamilton's like not a big town, but it's big compared to Thames. So that's, uh, I don't know, New Zealanders will get that joke. I think Milo's really funny. Um, I really liked him in Deathgasm and uh, he was living with all the others. 
they all live in sort of like a collective and he was living there and and so we sort of like brought him in to do this the most dodgiest character and i think he really nailed it i think he really enjoyed dressing like a complete mongrel and then walking around and uh people just being like to maybe taking a step or two away from him while he's in an elevator or something and then i just thought where's where would be the dumbest place to hide the money oh just under a cushion And again, I just wanted to display some like firearms incompetence that I think everyone forgets, you know. You forget like a gun is fucking loud and it sucks. Like when people fire guns around you, you're like, oh God, can you shut up? I just think it's funny how like in movies, people just firing guns constantly and it's like, doesn't affect their hearing at all. Sometimes firing them over each other's shoulders and. And then I just thought, what's the dodgiest thing that this guy could do? It's <laughs> total fucking creep. <laughs> it's like so far away from what Milo's actually like. <laughs> Took about a thousand takes because they kept cracking up. She's fine. She doesn't need you, you dipshit. Oh, don't be like that. Yeah, well, too bad, bitch. <laughs> you always were a pussy. Oh, John, a moment for you to grow. Oh, you've got the bracelet that makes you feel real like you can kick ass. And she's standing there judging you. What are you going to do? And I wanted these sort of like semi-heroic moments to be real, f like, <laughs> real lame. I'm going to... If you don't stop being such a dick. <laughs> Just trying to see they're all they're really aware that she's standing there and they're trying to like impress her with their shitty like childhood insults. And then and then she is impressed, which makes it even stupid. Hey, uh, what did you want to talk to me about? Um... He wants to go to Pyro, which is like, it's the neighboring town. I just thought, what if we give him like a really uh, sort of achievable goal that doesn't actually require all the things he thinks it does but it's just his mental barrier like he all he wants to do is move to pyro and try and start his own gang pyro is about half an hour away from thames uh driving and it's a lot smaller and so i just thought it was like a, quite a funny goal and i just thought this would be <laughs> I couldn't resist. I just thought every time that gun gets fired, no matter where, no matter when, it hits Terry in the in the eye. Not you, 
You're as useful as tits on a fucking ball, and you can fuck off. Yes. I just liked that. And then this is uh, Johnny just being like, well, just ad-libbing. It's like, well, I'm not leaving the door open. That mongrel might get in. And I wanted to do this all in one shot. This is, uh, you know, one big long shot because, it, you know, every time you do these effects, you really want to keep away from cutting. And it's really difficult when you have a static camera. You want to keep away from cutting because... It just feels like cheating, you know, like I want it to feel like they're really there and they're really talking um, in the. So this is me reading all the offlines and trying to maintain a rhythm uh, between me and Anton as he plays each of the other characters. One of us has fucked up the time traveling more than one of us. Well, it wasn't me. How do you know? Well, because I'm very focused. I don't make those kinds of mistakes. But you're me. You're all of us. So? So we need to find the other John and sort this out. Okay, so where is he? Pyro. Pyro. So Pyro is like a little town. There's a drink from New Zealand called Lemon and Pyro, and it uh, originates in Pyro. Uh, it's a cute little town. It's actually quite nice. But it's just like a... It's a funny... I don't know. I find it funny that somebody's like... Their dream is to move from Thames to Pyro. I think it's like a cute dream. So this is the only set that we built. Um, and this is because we couldn't find anywhere that we could do it. And then it was the day before we were shooting and we had nowhere to do it. So a friend of mine had this space uh, out on a wharf. This is actually out on a wharf. Um, and it's like an office. And so... Uh, we went to the hardware store and bought a bunch of pl planks of wood and wallpaper and all this other shit. And then we spent the night, all night, building this and decorating it, and making it look like a um, like a hotel. And then that's Josh McKenzie, a good friend of mine, awesome actor, very funny guy. <laughs> and he decided that he would give the character a lisp and i was like are you, are you sure and then we started shooting it and then we watched it back and it was i, I thought it was really funny so i wrote as many words containing the letter s in it as possible so everything he says uh has as many s's as possible in it I just liked the idea that he's, he's burning the picture of his family. He's burning the picture of John's family. Just for no... Just total asshole. And this is another moment of uh, growth for John, where he is um, standing up for himself, but, you know, he still needs backup. And this is a original windy, like HSV, HSV rooms. rooms. Like this is I, I was like with the actors, I was like, why don't you guys just like come up with like we, we sort of talked through backstories and what my thoughts were on it. And uh, then they just ad libbed their own back, backstory. So it was like, you know, think about it. 
my favorite part is when he yeah. lists all the parts of the car for original windy hsv all that sort of stuff what about you how'd you end up here well i sort of um and then Kelly has her backstory where she, she blew up her skull well, and she killed her teacher and stuff like this, but she was real bummed that she got in trouble for it because her teacher was a real dick. So they just sort of ad-libbed all this sort of stuff. Hey, um, you've, you've got something. And those pies, that's a real Kiwi thing. We eat a lot of pies. At least, I don't know. I do. I think each pie reduces uh, your life expectancy by six months. That's the uh, sort of icon of Pyro, the giant lemon and Pyro bottle. This scene was interesting, that tiny little scene. Uh, we kept having to pass a light over a static car and have him play the scene in every position of the card and then match them all together and match the timing of the light timing of the dialogue timing of everything it's a lot more complicated than it looks and it's it's about 30 frames and this joke was just i wanted to just take it take it to the extreme when people say dumb dumb romantic shit to each other but take it to the point that it becomes creepy I did press the button? Well, which one of you didn't? Oh, not me. I did everything I was supposed to. You didn't, you have to go back. Oh, fuck you. Oh, I'm so there's Anton playing, uh, I'm reading all the offlines and he's having an argument. Yeah, so he gets what he wants, which is his own gang. But the problem is that he wants to be the leader. I'm Leonardo. You're Donatello. If you stop arguing, you could when I was a kid and when we used to play with Ninja Turtles, for some reason I just never wanted to play with Donatello because I didn't like his weapon. He just had this crappy stick. I was like, why? I don't want a stick guy. I want Michelangelo. with yourself, egomaniac much? Tell them that. You're such a bitch. You got no nuts. All right, that's enough. We're not going anywhere tonight. We're not doing anything tonight. It's late. I'm weirded out, and I can't be fucked listening to you argue anymore. I'm going to bed. Oh, but you got to watch the money. Why? Well, because I don't trust these cunts. Sheldon? I found the car. Then fuck him. Pyrella. You were a darling, mate. He's in fucking Pyroa. This is again. Uh, we just talked through the scene. And we just sent the actors off in a car. Uh, to do all the stuff themselves. And uh, Tim Flower was in there, the DOP, just like swiveling the camera around. So the scene used to go for a lot longer, but we just took that best bit where he says. Better put your safety belt on. So now he's thinking about stealing the money. And then he gets busted, so he pretends he's going for a piss. And then this guy gets suspicious. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, he, where he's gone.
Yeah, so this is the, yeah, the things start to fall to bits. We, I think we just get a sense of uh, their suspicion of each other and their unwillingness to share. And, um, and I thought that's enough. We don't have to go too far down this route. So a little bit like, I don't know, the treasure of the Sierra Madre, not that this is like that at all, but there's this, there's some scenes in there where they get the money and they become suspicious of each other. And I thought, um, they did it in a really economical way and I wanted to sort of like do it in an economical way as well. Um, just get that beat across and then, and then just like bring in the demon and everyone starts dying. So this is John sick of going around in circles. So he's like, fuck it, I'm keeping the money. I'm just going to kill the rest of them. John! It's a lot harder to do than it seems, like that whole demon bit, because you don't really want to show it. Because... You know, like every monster in a movie, it's not actually scary. It's, uh, you just want to sort of see his reaction and elements of it. This is in the lobby of, a, of the Freemason Club, which we found. And this is one of the um, interns' apartments. I originally had it so that the the manager had um, all the cameras in every room, and he was like watching uh, everybody's hotel room in his room. Um, but we couldn't get the TVs working. <laughs> <laughs> so that got cut. It didn't even get filmed. Because I wanted him to be like super creepy. Um, you know, weirdo motel guy. And this is sort of like cartoony chase. I wanted it to, you know, feel like like when you watch cartoons and they run around and someone hides behind the door and they run past, you know, like want it to have that sort of cartoon flavor. I don't care about the piss, mate. Tidy your bloody room up and open a window. It smells like jism. This is all ad lib again. Um, where we just thought maybe he would try and like cover up that he pissed him's pants and Shelton would say something about it, and so they just ad-libbed that stuff. I think it's pretty funny. Jesus. He must have topped himself. 
um anisa who did the makeup i think she did a pretty good job at like this throat slit and all that sort of stuff see that again that sort of cartoony sort of reaction i don't know i really like that kind of thing um we overdid it with the red light in here because we shot it we didn't have all the actors to shoot the scenes in this room so we had to shoot them piecemeal um over the course of a couple of weeks so each shot is like a little piece at a time um and so it's really hard to match And I wanted to have a fight between them and because they just become like more and more greedy and egomaniac and I couldn't resist, you know, the idea of getting a big head. That was really that joke where that joke comes from. He's like, he's got this bracelet, so he thinks he's all powerful. And so he gets a big head and of course his head explodes. And I just... I wanted it I wanted people to react the way that my friends or my family would actually react to these kinds of things because normally you see people like getting overly emotional and crazy and all this kind of stuff but I think if this happened uh, in Thames in a motel you'd be like oh yeah well I better clean that up uh big job might just get some fish and chips first um will it seep into the carpet yeah probably will we'll have to replace it anyway just like just matter of fact style. Yeah, now she thinks he's a dick because he is a dick and now he feels sorry for himself. Which, of course he would. Because he's a... This is more ad-lib. This is like... um. I just thought of this on the day. I was like... It. it would be super funny if something really lame like he dropped his keys in his own head because that's what would happen to me probably and then just trying to motivate this uh third act by sort of this thing where he realizes that he's been a total dick to her and that he wants to apologize and um, but he still can't get bring himself to do it in a way that is actually genuine so he comes up with this idea of saving her which is like as if she needs to be saved and it's and he's like the bracelets only cause trouble I'm taking it back Yeah, he told him to come back. So there's another sort of like trying to do like a mystical sort of a scene, maybe like gremlinsy or something like that. Cryptic, cryptic. Um. Cannot people get saying have you seen the highlander and i had never seen the highlander so the it, there can only be one thing didn't quite com compute with me so i i went and watched the highlander recently and i realized ah oh, that's why people keep saying the highlander 
the whole there can only be one thing so now he just lays it out this is the third act you used to use the bracelet to get the money and get the girlfriend now you have to do it by yourself thank you plot point guy And then, so, how do you diffuse an obvious plot point? You make a dumb joke out of it. Fuck off. Not your mother, fuck off. <laughs> and then he's got heaps of bracelets. Wife, you know steal my shit again, wanker? It's Charles Chen. He's f very funny. And then I just like the idea that he was used to talking to himself so much and his other selves that he starts talking to as a reflection to try and amp himself, amp himself up. Now that Chinese fella's gonna kill Kelly. I know. What do I do? You can't do shit without that bracelet. Well, I gotta try. Yeah, you gotta grow some nuts. Oh, she said my nuts were bigger than I thought. When you had the bracelet, maybe. Well, I could just go get the money and save Kelly. Yeah, all right then. Go use those huge nuts. Yeah, whose nuts are these? Yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, my big nuts. Yeah, go use those big nuts. Yeah! Oi, shut the fuck up. Can't sleep. Yeah, I just... I don't know, I can't handle them getting too enthusiastic, so to cut them off with, with another... Just like, wouldn't the old guy be being like, what the fuck is that guy doing outside? So there's another sort of commando-esque uh, montage, which I always liked. This was sort of, we just ad-libbed this on the day. It was about 100 degrees Celsius inside that, um, that steel container. And I found a zoom lens in the kit. So I was like, let's do a bunch of crash zooms and a goofy sort of getting ready thing where... John dresses like a ninja turtle. Jay gets to live his dream of being a um, survivalist, sort of like using all his improvised weapons. <clears throat> and Jay wants to do cool shit, but just reality is that nothing's really that difficult. <laughs> so I was like. How would we do infiltration in Thames? This is probably pretty close. Yeah, I could totally imagine one of my friends taping a, a mirror to his jandal. Let's lock them in the cupboard. John. Yeah, so you're here in John's world, and then you see it from outside, and they just look like total Muppets. Just go and have a look, will you? Terry's starting to get irritated with being told what to do all the time. I see you on the cameras, you idiots. Initiate data protocol. What? Save yourself! Jay just thinks he's in a some sort of army movie. I got a fight. I didn't mean to. Oh fuck! Fucking blind. Hey, you all right? I got shot. There's a bunch of pretzels in there. I need to get you to the hospital. 
I should have made the gunshot wound bigger, to be honest. Like, I just felt like I was overdoing it because shotgun wounds aren't big. But then again, we're, we're making a movie, so I should have made it bigger. And now he <clears throat> doesn't need to say anything to damage. He just looks at him and damage runs away. So he has almost completed his character journey. Congratulations. And he's like, I'm here to save you. It's like, what the fuck? Like, what is with all this saving? Like, I've got to save the girl from what? It's like, she's like, I can save myself if I want. And then I wanted it. A real sort of like romance scene, but by people that are not very good at communicating. Do you think you could ever like me again? Myself. It's like everyone was myself. Except me. You really give that bracelet back. Yep. Yeah, honest. <clears throat> yeah, real stoked. I just like how then neither of them are particularly good communicators. <laughs> and he's trying to give an apology, but he does it all wrong. Oh hey, we better get out of here before that Chinese fella finds us. Didn't blow your balls off, eh? I don't know. I can't feel anything from the waist down. So this was a two two night. We shot this over two nights. This scene took ages. You've got your money. Leave him alone. Look, Dal. I'm not going to go crooked, you. I know you've taken a shine to him, and I've got my money back. But and you better call Sir Mix a lot because it's a bloody big but. Just more jokes that you come up with in your when you're writing. I don't know. You just write write words, and you see the words, and then you make a joke out of the words, and it's a it's a strange sort of a thing, like written comedy compared to performance comedy. But it was one of the jokes that I felt like not that many people would get, but I liked it too much, so we should keep it in. Um, I think Luke did a great job editing this because it's a really difficult scene to pace and to make feel authentic, you know. So this is finally John realizing the illusion of power and how what he wanted is not really an admirable thing. And having nuts is about... Standing up for yourself and not telling other people what to do. He just uses us to do everything for him because he's too afraid to do it himself. Inspirational music in the background. I'm the coolest girl I've ever met. She told me not to be like. And then a little bit of genuine recognition for her, which is sort of like from an honest place, and I think it's kind of cute. When are you guys gonna see? We do everything for this asshole, and he just sits up there watching the telly. And if one of us doesn't like it, he just turns us against each other. Shut your bloody pie hole. Hey, Shelton, I'm going to get up now, and I'm going to take that money, and my girlfriend, and my big ass nuts, and we're going to go to Pyro. Again. That bit there, that line of the movie is pretty much why I decided to make this movie, because... Or everything he says in that line is just so. 
uh, modest and his big ass nuts and he's going to go to Pyra and there's nothing you can do about it. Jerry, Everything about that line sort of sums up the whole movie, the whole tone of it. Now do it! Well, to tell you the truth, Sheldon, you're a real nag. I don't really like you. <laughs> so everyone joins in telling the truth. So I can get a real job. Fucking whooped it. Damage. Come here. I said, come here, or you're all fucked. See, Johnny's good. I mean, he can do. Without us, you're nothing. He can do sort of like. Man, you're just a little boy. Panicking, intimidating. Confident, amicable. I think he's really good in this. I love you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We added that in after because I thought it was so funny. That was just Johnny came into the studio and we were like, can we do a... When he gets shot. Like as if he thought it was coming. Gaz redeems himself. Stop. Stop. And now he says what we're all thinking. Just couldn't resist the one more. Are you alright? Oh dear. Well, then, <coughs> these two reconcile because. Gaz realizes that he shouldn't have sold his mate out. And John realizes that he's actually been a total dick too. So it's no point in not being friends with your friends just because sometimes you're a dick to each other. Back to Pyro. And then. Did you mean what you said before? She's all. Did they make things weird? Yeah. Wondering. Hey, it feels like a bit of a dork. Oh, is it the Chinese money? Oh. <laughs> I used to have a scene in there where she actually does do the swap but then we thought we can just show the results of the swap we don't really need to show her doing it. it sort of diffuses stuff and when finally delivers the money to the chinese gangsters and then realizes uh oh I needed to tie up this demon, so there's the mask that he bought from the from the antique shop. And his outfit, he's tried to dress up like the demon. And I guess the idea behind this is that, uh, you know, the demon's not a demon. The demon is greed itself, and 
that I didn't want to share with you cunts. He, uh... Oh, it's, hey, you know Kelly? You know, yeah, of the demon is just a representation of someone's greed, and so they are How the demon I? themselves. So I thought, well, he can be the demon. And then he makes a deal with him, where this guy hasn't spent any time with Kelly, as opposed to the other one. So one guy wants um, to pursue love, and the other one wants to pursue the money. And then the evil evil one outside taking the money. And more pies. Because we actually just did get pies for lunch. So we took a shot of them. This was a really, really difficult scene to cut together, like, because it's about the timing of it and the the vibe of it, because John. you make, like, a slight wrong step and it just goes completely wrong. So I think Luke did a really great job putting this scene together. It wasn't an easy one. Um, I did have another couple of endings. Uh, one when a real demon came and killed them. And another one where uh, the other one, John, just killed the other John there in the toilets and took the money and the car and ran off and left Kelly in the service station. But I feel like it was—it's a comedy. Um, it's sort of light-hearted and silly, so it should have uh, more of an upbeat ending. So we decided to go with this one. Um, and that's. That's it, really, when it, all I can think of. I mean, well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of other stuff, actually, but I hope, um, I hope you got something out of that. I don't know, I'm new to doing this sort of commentary thing. Um, so, yeah, enjoy the music play out.